Today is the first Sunday of Lent. As you know, Lent is the liturgical season leading up to Easter. It's generally a somber season, a time for reflection, prayer, penitence, fasting. A lot of people give something up for Lent. Whether you've chosen to give something up for Lent or not, I want to challenge you to take some things on. For one thing, there is the Sharing the Love Lenten packet out in the narthex on the tables. It's, uh, it says, Sharing the Love Lenten Challenge. And uh, I want you to pick up one of these and take it home with you. This packet is designed to help us to focus on others through this season of Lent. There are challenges uh, for each week uh, to help us stay focused on others as we seek to uh, make Jesus known to others during this season of Lent. I'm also asking all of you, the whole congregation, to uh, take up the challenge of listening to an additional sermon each week. We uh, are blessed at this church to have two sermons preached on Sunday morning. Now, I know some people say one sermon is more than enough, but uh, we uh, are blessed to have two, and I want to take advantage of that during this season of Lent and challenge all of us to listen to both sermons each week. Now, if you went to the contemporary worship at 9.30 and you're in here now, then you're already ahead of the game. Good for you. Um, if not, then uh, I would ask you sometime during this week, uh, to get on our website or to open up the church app and to, to listen to the other sermons so that you're getting uh, both perspectives. Jeff and I are going to be preaching on the same theme each week, the same biblical character in the story each week, each from our own perspective. If you think that uh, Jeff's sermon is better than mine, that's great. I encourage you to tell him that. <laughs> Please don't tell me that. I think that uh, as we do this, we will all, uh, can all get to know Jesus better uh, by listening to both sermons, gaining an additional perspective on God's word. Perspective. That's what the, our theme is for Lent, perspective. Everybody has a perspective. Perspective refers to the way you see things, the way you understand what's happening. You and I don't necessarily see things the same way. We have different perspectives. And what's more, our own perspectives are likely to shift over time as more information comes to light, as we gain more experience, more wisdom. We're looking at the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, what was going on in Jesus' arrest and trial and crucifixion. Why did he do what he did? What did it mean for the people around him? What does it mean for us? All of the characters in the story had a different perspective about that. For many of them, their perspective changed as the events of Holy Week and Good Friday played out. And then what happened three days later? We're going to look at those events through the eyes of those who witnessed them firsthand, through their eyes. The, the people who are around Jesus during that most significant time in human history. What did they see happening? And what did it mean to them? We start today with Peter. In a way, it's natural to start with Peter. He's often looked at as first among the 12 disciples. He was the one to whom Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. In the Roman Catholic Church, Peter is considered the first pope. 
He was certainly in Jesus' inner circle. He was a take-charge kind of guy who had a front-row view of everything that went on, almost from the beginning. He might not have been the very first disciple, though. The Gospel of John tells us that it was Peter's brother, Andrew, and another unnamed disciple who were first to follow. Andrew then went and told his brother, Simon. That was Peter's real name, Simon. It was Andrew who convinced his brother Simon to come with him. Matthew doesn't give us that detail. Matthew simply says that there were two brothers out fishing together, Andrew and Simon, when Jesus told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They both dropped their nets and went. In either case, Peter was one of the first to hear the invitation of Jesus. He was one of the first to follow. It didn't take long, though, for him to move from being one of the first to becoming first of all. There was something about Peter's personality that allowed him to assume a leadership role even before Jesus made him a leader. When Jesus came walking across the water to the disciples while they were in a boat, it was Peter who boldly spoke up, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I don't know anyone who would be bold enough to demand such a thing as that and to expect that request to be granted. I know I wouldn't. None of the other disciples would have said such a thing. Would you? That didn't stop Peter. But even more amazing than Peter's boldness in making that request was Peter's boldness in actually stepping out of the boat when Jesus said, come. I mean, it's one thing to ask for the ability to walk on water and to believe in a hypothetical sense that Jesus could give you that power. But this was no hypothetical theologizing for Peter. For Peter, this was real. Not only did he believe, he proved that belief by stepping out onto the water. Now, yes, a moment later, he did get distracted by the wind and the waves. He did take his eyes off Jesus and begin to sink. But before we criticize him for that, consider how many of us would have even stepped out of the boat in the first place or made the request that Peter made. Peter was a man of boldness, a man of action. He was a man of faith. We need to be clear on that before we get any closer to the arrest and trial of Jesus. We need to understand that Peter was no coward. Peter was more brave than anyone else in that boat and probably more brave than anyone else in this room. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Not only was he the first to answer the question during that discussion, he was the first in the entire gospel to make that confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. All along, people have been wondering about Jesus. Could he be the Messiah? That's why many people came to him, to see if perhaps he might be the Messiah. That's why many of the disciples followed him. They thought that he might be the Messiah. And if he was, they wanted to be with him when he made his move to bring in the kingdom. A whole lot of people were wondering. But Peter was the first one to declare it to confess it, to profess that it is so. You are the Christ. 
You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. No more wondering. No more wavering. No more waffling back and forth. Peter stated it right out as unquestionable and unassailable truth. Jesus is the Messiah. It was to that confession that Jesus responded by calling Peter the rock and saying, on this rock, I will build my church. The rock on which the church is built is that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that there is no other but him. And Peter was the first one to say it, to believe it. So we need to understand before we get any closer to the courtyard, before we consider Peter's denial of Jesus, we need to understand that Peter was rock solid in his faith. He did not have any doubts about who Jesus was. He wasn't sitting on the sidelines with a wait-and-see kind of attitude. He had gone all in. He knew the truth. He knew that Jesus is the truth. Peter was as solid in his faith as any Christian has ever been. It was his confession of faith that laid the foundation for all of us. But Peter also pushed back against Jesus at times. Just as Peter made his grand confession, Jesus began to teach his disciples what it meant that he was the Messiah. He began to tell them about the cross, that he was going to be arrested and convicted and crucified and three days later rise again. Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Peter rebuked Jesus. Imagine being bold enough to rebuke Jesus. He told him not to talk like that. He he told him, this cannot be so. That's when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. In the course of only a few minutes, Peter went from being the rock upon which I will build my church to Satan. How quickly things change. How quickly things change for us, too. Even when we're trying to be faithful, That's what Peter was doing. He was trying to be faithful. He wasn't trying to work against Christ. He wasn't trying to be a stumbling block. He was trying to support Christ. He was trying to defend Christ. But in fighting for the way he believed things were supposed to go, rather than submitting to the words and ways of Jesus, he became a stumbling block, getting in the way of what Christ was all about. It was likewise on the mountaintop when Jesus was transfigured in dazzling white and Moses and Elijah stood with him. Peter suggested building three tents so that they could tarry there for a while. But tarrying on the mountain was not on Christ's agenda. It was likewise just before the Last Supper when Jesus and the Twelve gathered in an upper room and and Jesus got out that towel and basin and prepared to wash the disciples' feet. Peter tried to stop him. He thought it was beneath someone like Jesus to stoop to such a level as washing his servants' feet. If only Peter had understood. If only Peter had any clue the depths of humiliation his master was about to submit to within the next few hours. But he didn't know. Peter didn't understand. That's the point we need to keep in mind when we get to the infamous courtyard scene. 
Sitting at the Last Supper that night, Peter had professed his willingness to die for Jesus. John 13, 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Matthew 26, 33, Peter said to him, though all others become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. Matthew 26, 35, Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. Well, we know what happened. We heard the rest of the story read earlier. We've heard the story countless times before. Peter, later that same night, in the courtyard, while Jesus was being tried by the Jewish council, Peter denied ever knowing Jesus. He denied him three times, just as Jesus said he would. And because we know the story the way that we do, when we hear Peter earlier in that evening professing his undying devotion and faithfulness, even to the point of death, we say, man, he was full of it. But he wasn't really. He was wrong, yes. He was misguided, absolutely. But he wasn't lying. He wasn't being false or faithless. It's just that his perception was all mixed up. What he thought was about to happen and what actually was about to happen were two entirely different things. And when things played out the way that they did, and his perspective was thrown all to shambles, he wasn't prepared to handle that. When Judas led the authorities into the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, three of the gospel writers say that one of those who was with Jesus drew a knife and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Three of the Gospels say someone did that. The fourth Gospel tells us clearly it was Peter that did that. Peter came into the garden with a knife, ready to fight, ready to die if necessary. When he said at the Last Supper that he was willing to be arrested with Jesus and even to die with Jesus, he wasn't just whistling Dixie. He, he meant it. The fact that he drew his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's slave proves it. He was prepared to fight for Jesus and to die in battle if necessary. There is something glorious about fighting and dying in battle. But to surrender? To not fight at all? To just give up, give in, and still be killed? Well, that's a whole different story. There's something humiliating in that. Something in Peter's heroic human nature wouldn't allow him to go there. That's why he was caught so off guard in the courtyard next to the fire when people started identifying him as one who was with Jesus. That's why he didn't even realize what he was saying. Not because he was weak in faith. He wasn't. He, his faith was strong. And not because he was a coward. He wasn't. He was ready to fight and be martyred in the process. He said what he said without thinking because he was so thrown for a loop by the fact that Jesus seemed to have given up. 
Jesus seemed to have given up. And Peter didn't understand why. He didn't understand the purpose of the cross. Peter wanted to fight for Jesus, but in doing so, he became a stumbling block that was opposing Jesus, and ultimately he ended up denying Jesus, something he had professed he would never do. When the cock crowed, Peter realized what he had done. He wept bitterly. He wept because he realized that in his eagerness to defend Jesus, he had utterly failed Jesus. His perception of himself changed in that moment. He learned that he was not the man that he thought he was. He was not as brave as he perceived himself to be. Oh, he was brave enough to die on the battlefield, but he was not brave enough to die on a cross. He was brave enough to fight for Jesus, but he wasn't brave enough not to fight, to lay down his weapons, to let Jesus take the lead, to follow all the way to the cross. Peter was not at the cross. While Jesus hung on the cross and died, Peter was off hiding somewhere. He was completely baffled and distraught by what was going on. This was not how it was supposed to go, according to Peter. From his perspective, Jesus dying on the cross without even putting up a fight was the ultimate defeat. It was completely pointless. It was a terrible scandal. That's why Peter was hiding while Jesus hung on the cross, not because he was a coward, but because he didn't know what else to do. He didn't see any point to any of this. He had no conceptual framework for understanding what was going on or how there could be any meaning, any purpose behind any of it. Peter was willing to die for a great cause, but what cause was this? He didn't know. He couldn't perceive it. Not until three days later. Not until the resurrection. With the resurrection, that's when Peter's eyes were finally opened to what had actually taken place on the cross. When Peter saw Jesus risen and alive, that's when his perspective changed on the whole thing. Here is what Peter proclaimed to the crowds just a matter of weeks later on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 22 to 24. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. According to Peter, following the resurrection, Jesus was handed over according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God. 
Peter now knew for certain that everything that happened was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. When Jesus was being arrested, Peter thought something had gone terribly wrong. When, when Peter denied knowing Jesus, it was because he didn't understand why Jesus wasn't fighting back. When Jesus died on the cross, Peter was convinced that God's plan of salvation had been thwarted. But when Jesus rose from the grave, Peter knew. He finally understood this had been God's plan all along. Peter finally perceived it. His perception was finally put right that Jesus' death on the cross did not thwart God's plan of salvation. Jesus' death on the cross was God's plan of salvation. It had all happened for a purpose. It had all taken place according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Looking back on the cross from the vantage point of the resurrection, now Peter could see clearly. Now he had the proper perspective on the cross. God had planned it all for our salvation. Jesus' death on the cross was not a mistake. It was not a tragedy. It was not a defeat of God. It was God's ultimate triumph over sin and death. On the cross, Jesus took the just punishment for sin so that no one else would ever have to, so that Peter and the other disciples would not have to, so that you and I would not have to. On the cross, Jesus won the ultimate victory. You see, Jesus had not given up. As Peter had previously presumed, Jesus did not surrender Jesus fought harder than anyone in human history has ever fought. He fought against sin. He fought against temptation. He fought against the human desire to put himself first. He fought against the human instinct to strike first or strike back. And instead, he struck a decisive blow against the devil. And he won our way back to God. Once Peter's perception was changed by the resurrection... He was able to stand up tall and proclaim the truth and profess his faith without fear because he knew it was not in vain. He knew that God was in control and that he had nothing to fear. We too are blessed with the vantage point of Easter. We're moving through this pre-Easter season of Lent. We're drawing toward the cross. We struggle through this season of trial and self-denial, suffering, taking up our cross. But we do so in the sure and certain hope that it is not in vain that Christ has won the battle. Because our perspective is shaped by Easter, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that the cross of Christ is not a humiliation. Indeed, it is our salvation. Thanks be to God.